Thank you, Terry, praise team, and choir. Good to see you all up there in our orchestra. Somewhat uh, abbreviated, but they did a great job. I love hearing them. Thank you. And good to see you this Labor Day weekend. To prove I had Labor Day weekend. See, it's working in my yard. Anyone else bringing any proof? Right? I got that. Well, there it is right there. I was working in mine. <clears throat> and uh, since my gym is closed, I have another way to get some exercise, right? If you own a house, you own exercise, don't you? Along with your mortgage, taking care of that for the bank, since they're really the ones that own your house anyway. <laughs> All right. We're going to get started today with uh, a message about um, life change, life change. It seems... That Bubba was all excited. Title of this is, and that is how the fight started at the factory. He was excited because it was bring your child to work day. And he told Bubba, little Bubba about it months in advance. And finally the day came. First of all, he was getting out of school. Which is always a good day for a child, isn't it? Amen. Snow, hurricane, power, whatever the reason. Except these last months, that has not been a good reason. But anyway... Little Bubba gets into that factory, sees it coming up as Bubba pulls up in his pickup truck. They go inside, and Bubba's just so pleased. He's going to show him all around this factory where he works, and he begins to go through. And before too long, little Bubba just starts to look discouraged and begins to just wail and cry in the middle of the plant. So... All the co-workers begin to gather around here and just thinking, what has happened? What's wrong? And so they gather around and surround little Bubba in there. He's just crying uncontrollably. And Bubba comes in to try and intervene. Says, What's the matter, little Bubba? I thought you wanted to come. He said, Daddy, I did want to come. But where are all the clowns you said you worked with? <laughs> and that's how the fight at the factory started, Okay. Now, I don't work with any clowns here, praise God. We have some jokers, but not clowns, right? We, have, we like to have some fun. But, you know, God gets a lot of things done with people, imperfect people just like us. Today we're talking about life. And you'll never change your life until. You'll never change your life until you do something and put something in your life every day. And so there's four things today I want all of us to look at. Some will be a reminder. And if you're watching at home or as some people are fortunate enough to get away on Labor Day, thank you. If you're watching from the beach of the mountains, blessed you're joining us for our simulcast today, live from Lawndale Baptist Church today. I'm glad you are here. And we're celebrating God's goodness. You'll never change your life until you change something that you do Every day. Four things today we're going to look at. And first, we're going to start out because out there, when you're listening, I can't see your heart. Obviously, God knows your heart. And the same thing in this room. There's something that is important if you expect your life to change that you must do. The first thing, and we're looking at Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. The first thing you must do is die to the law. Galatians 2, 19. For what? Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. There's many people trying to live for God through the law. They believe if I'm good enough, if I earn enough credit with God, I'll be okay. 
I make it to church now and then. I give a few bucks to church. I help people. I'm a lot better than my brother or my sister. I'm more effective than these people out here. My neighbors don't even bother. So I'll make it. I'm a pretty good guy. I've made a deal with the guy upstairs. I'll be okay. Dear friend, this is important. If you tune out after this, that's fine. But listen carefully. There's but one way to heaven, and you have to die to the law. Your own subjective laws that say, I'm going to make a law for myself that says, this is how I'll get to heaven, or the laws of a religion. And believe me, I was raised in religion. I understand what it is to be under the gravitational pull of religion that says you have to jump through this hoop, do this thing, get this done, then you'll be okay. Let's look at this thing. Let's look at it. What does this mean? See, what is the purpose of the law? Many people think the purpose of the law is that if you fulfill enough of it, God will take your good works, God will take your bad works, the things you've done wrong, kind of weigh them out. And if your good stuff kind of outweighs your bad stuff, you'll be okay. Well, that's just not the truth. In fact, it's a bald-faced lie. It's the worst kind of deceit that Satan could actually put forth. You see, Satan gives people heavenly ways to go to hell, doesn't he? And it looks really good. It looks really shiny and bright and nice. I'll obey the law and do all that. And there's nothing wrong with obeying the law for the right reason. But what does the law do? It shows a person that they're sinners. See, some of you came here today. Be honest. Did anyone go over the speed limit getting here today? Other than me. Thank you, Ray. God bless you. Right? Even the two hands on David. Thank you. I thought you went Pentecostal on me. Two hands went up. I mean, if you've always obeyed the speed laws, that's great. But here's the deal. If you're going through town, particularly in a school zone, it's what, 20, 25 miles an hour? If you're doing 80, what's going to probably happen? What will happen, do you think, if someone's going like this, right? That's not a helicopter. That means blue lights are flashing. They'll come and stop you and say they're good news and bad news. If you've hated driving, we're going to take care of that for you. You're not going to be able to drive for a while. And we have some... uh, some people you're going to give money to. The law shows us how far we miss the mark. That's what it does. The law is not there as a place to say, if you just fulfill this, you'll be okay. It shows us how far we miss the mark, doesn't it? So if you do an 80 and it's a 20, you're 60 miles over the limit and your insurance rates are about to take, uh, overtake your mortgage, right? The law condemns us to death. What does the word of God say? You see, with all due respect, you can believe the way you believe because God will give you freedom to do that. But if you believe that the Bible teaches the truth, I want you to see what the Bible says. That's what I've been uh, ordained to preach the truth from God's word, not some subjective idea. I think this, I think that. It really doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God thinks. Let's look and see the law. It condemns us to death. Galatians 3.10 says, all who rely on observing the law And many people do. Once again, I was raised in religion. I was uh, seeking to keep a law, keep the rules, keep the stuff of that. You're under a curse. What is it, God? As it is written, cursed is, say it out loud, everyone who does not continue to do, say it out loud, everything written in the book of the law. So let me ask you, have you kept the book of the law your whole life? What do you mean, the Ten Commandments? Well, there's over... Depending on what scholar you read, 700 Old Testament laws. There's lots of laws. But let's just go to the, the Big Ten, right? Love the Lord your God with your whole mind, soul, and heart. Have no other gods before me. I've only spoken to one person in my life, one out of the many people I've had the privilege to share Christ with, that said, I've never sinned. Right? 
and I married her. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Right. Your spouse may be the one that I've never said, but I talked to that person and I, I couldn't believe it because I've never, I, what do you do with that answer? I've never sent. Well, here's what, here's what I did. I said, every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year of every decade, you have loved God with your whole mind, soul, and heart. Every part of that time, you've never given any attention to any evil, every bad, any bad thoughts, any, never, never. Because that's what it says. You've never had another God before God. You've never put something else in front of God. Listen, that's why we all fall short. And you're cursed. Is everyone who does that continue to do everything? It's not just one thing, everything written in the book of the law. So we've got a problem. You see, friend, heaven's not for good people. Heaven's for perfect people. Good people are fooled once again by heavenly deceit from the devil himself. Let me give you a heavenly way to go to hell. But the Bible says that's why Christ came. If, if laws could get us to heaven, why did Christ come? Christ came to die for sinners. And you have to own that first. You see, you have to start off with truthfulness in your heart. And today, because we don't have to serve Christ out of the law, there's a privilege of serving him because we love him. Deuteronomy 27, 26 says, Cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. You're cursed. So let's look at some things. First of all, we're saved by faith. What does that mean? It means that you have to die to the law, and it means that we have to let go of religion. Here's the great news. Some of you have this stuff growing in your yard. takes a lot of skill to grow ivy, doesn't it? Just let one spore break through and take over your yard, right? And there it is. But you see, I've got some trees just like... Have you ever noticed it like to climb trees? I've got some trees in our neighborhood, and we go walking around. It's up 100 feet. Trees aren't real healthy, but it's up 100 feet. But what's interesting to me, because I've done this, you can cut this in one cut at the base. And you know what happens? That tangled mess all through the tree, it cuts off the source of life, doesn't it? It cuts it on off. And what we get to find out from all that is something incredible. You see, Christ severed. He severed us from the curse of the law with one cut. Now, here's what happens. What's above that cut begins to die. And after a while, the tangled mass piece by piece begins to lose its grip and fall off. When you begin to live in the sanctification of Christ as a Christian, not serving Christ to be saved, listen, religionist, to what I'm saying. Not serving Christ to be saved, but serving him because you love him. Serving him out of thankfulness, all the laws, all the sin, all that junk begins to fall off, begins to unravel. See, one cut. That's all it took. It cuts off the source of all the other things. It brings us back to the perspective of why Jesus actually came. The tangled mess clings, but listen carefully. The tangled mess still clings up there, but it's dead. It's dead. You have to die to the law. We die to the law as a means of salvation. You get it? We die to the law as a means of salvation. We've said Christ made that cut. We died to that. Yes. Are you perfect now? No. Positionally, I am. God sees me as perfect because he sees me clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But while I'm on this earth, 
I'm in sanctification. First, there's salvation. God saves me. Sanctification is becoming like Christ. Glorification is when we are changed and when we leave this earth. So that's the process we're in. How can a person stand before a holy, righteous, pure, omnipotent creator of the universe? To be delivered from the law. We die to the law as our means of salvation. Aren't you glad we can? And I pray today, if you haven't died to the law yet, religions, your own self-made subjective laws, just receive Christ. Don't wait to have all the answers. You'll never get them. You'll, you will die in ambiguity, and not to decide is to decide. This is the best news in the world, and your mind may be telling you now, well, there's lots of other things out there. Think about this. Yes, there are. There's lots of other religions and ideas out there, but only one worldview, it's found in the Word of God, says there's one way. Every other religion, you don't really need all the other religions because they all tell you the same thing. Try and earn your way to heaven. Go through, jump through these hoops. The Word of God says Christ did it all. See, there's nothing else like that. And you see, true believers are Christians by the new birth. And they're Christians and serve out of thankfulness. They serve out of obedience. They serve because Christ is worthy of it. Not to be saved, but because they are saved. The first thing you have to do, you'll never change your life. If you don't have Christ, it's true of that. If you have Christ, it's true of that. You'll never change your life until you change something that you do every day. Die to the law every day. Secondly, identify with the cross. Identify with the cross every day. Galatians 2.20a. I have been crucified with Christ and I I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. It's It's a perfect tense. And some of you out there that know Greek means that it's something that happened in the past that carries forward with influence. It carries forward. I have been crucified with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. The Apostle Paul was crucified with Christ. Our sins were nailed to the cross because he took them for us. In Romans 6, 3 through 5, the Word of God says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism and into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Keep going. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Isn't that great news? We'll be united with him in his resurrection. And we are. The word of God is true. It says in Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As I reflect over life and look at some of the really difficult moments in time, there's been members in churches where I've served over the years, just to be very general, where a family member was involved in something horrific. And I've been there to support the family on the day of sentencing. And some of them are really tough, really tough. And when you hear that hammer go down, when you hear the people that stand up and even accuse before they do that, it's a hard thing. It's hard. Aren't you glad there's not going to be any condemnation when you stand before you, Lord? The devil may be there accusing you. Look at Joe. He was a pastor. He didn't get it all right. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Say, I, I see him, but he's clothed in the righteousness of my son. 
Those sins are paid for. You can't come up and bring those up. They're paid for. Period. Identify with the cross. A lot of people don't want to identify with the cross anymore. Do you know why? It's not politically correct to identify with the cross because the cross, first of all, well, it's bloody, it's, it's gross, it's, it's, it's an instrument of death. And there's other symbols of religions. You've seen them. There's other symbols. So let's not be dogmatic and identify with the cross. The Word of God says identify with the cross. In fact, Jesus said, pick up what and follow me? A cross. Why? Because within that symbol that has lasted all of these years, God turned a symbol of torture and death into a symbol of life. He turned it into something beyond what anybody could imagine because of who he is. Identifying with the cross means you believe in one way to heaven through Christ. Well, that's very narrow. Are you saying you have an intolerant worldview? I'm saying God has an intolerant view towards sin. It's so intolerant that he took our sin upon him and offered salvation as a gift. It's free. You receive it and then serve him out of grace. And here's the deal. Everything, and you heard me say this many times, everything hell is, I do not know. But one of the hardest things people struggle with on this earth is living with a bad decision. All of us from time to time, I know the song says, regrets, I have a few, whatever that is, but I did it my way. Well, I've got more than a few regrets. There's some things I wish I hadn't done that I did. So I'm not going to be some phony and say, no, I always did it right. I did it my way. My way was stupid a lot of times. Can I just tell you? It was ignorant and stupid and egotistical and self-centered. Got to do it God's way. And God's way is through the cross. It means, yes, the road to destruction, Jesus said, is wide and many follow it. The road to life is narrow and few find it. If you're listening today and you haven't found that yet, listen carefully. You can identify with the cross. Believers in Christ, identify with the cross. Stand bold for the cross. Yes, there is one way, but let me tell you, it's for everybody. No matter where you are, where you've been raised, whatever pigment of skin you have, the cross is for everyone. It's a symbol of God's love for all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You see, it's the best thing in the world. But it also, dear believing friend, means you pick up an instrument of death. It means that, just like this says, you identify with it. I identify with the cross. I no longer live. In one sense, the apostle Paul is living, isn't he? Well, his body was going around. He was. He said, but Christ lives in me. What a great, great thing that Paul could say that. You'll never change your life until you change something you do every day. The first thing and the foremost thing that any human being can do is die to the law. If you don't have Christ yet, you need to die to the law. If you have him, die to it every day. Serve out of the blessing that you've already received. Secondly, got to identify with the cross every day. Thirdly, surrender control of your life difficult thing to do since most of us have DNA that has control issues with it. Right? Don't, do you have any of that? You like control? Know what's happening? What's the market going to do? What's my job going to do? What's my church going to do? What's my spouse going to do? What my kids going to do? What am I going to almost just It's endless. It's endless. Surrender control. It's so important that we do, do that. Control of your life. See, if you're going to 
die to the law and identify with the cross, you have to surrender control of your life. Galatians 2.20b, the life I live in the body, Paul says after having this experience with Christ and putting his faith and trust in him, the life I live in the body, I love how it describes that, this earth suit, right? I'm not talking about this, the skin underneath, your birthday suit. Just your earth suit. It's temporal. It's called a tent in the Bible for a good reason. It's temporal. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, the life I'm now living, I I, I live by faith in the Son of God. I'm not living by the law like I used to as a Pharisee. I'm not living to try and please God and earn my way to heaven. I'm living for Christ. What an incredible thing. What a wonderful thing. I do that every day because if you do that every single day, some great things are going to happen. You see, in another sense, something else is going on here. Uh, it's not Paul who was living, but Christ in him. So that means you've picked up a cross, you've died to yourself, and you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. It's voluntary. God won't make you do it. But why would God have to make you do it if you truly received his grace and his mercy? Right? Why would he have to make you do it if you've received his grace and his mercy? Paul is not living a life that people would look at and say, boy, I'd like to go be shipwrecked and beaten. But Paul's living a life that's honoring God. He surrendered his life. You'll never change your life until you change something you do every day. Every day is the day to wake up today. God, I surrender my life. I've died to the law. I identify with the cross. and I have surrendered my life. In Ephesians 5.18, the word of God gives very specific instruction. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now notice, they're, they're, they're placed against one another. Because being filled with the Spirit doesn't lead to debauchery. It leads to some great things. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You see, when you put some type of a substance that gives control of your mind over to the substance, that is who you are at that point. You've given control of the substance to bring your body in crazy places. I've been there. It's not good. Thought it was. Thought it was live for these things, but they're not, but they're phony. They wreck your body, wreck your mind. And eventually the devil used those kinds of tools to falsely anesthetize people against the pain of life. And sometimes life is painful. The Bible never said life is fair. And I hurt for anyone that has a substance abuse issue. It's hard. But the analogy is perfect. It says, don't be drunk on that wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit control your mind. Not a substance, but the actual Spirit of God. And if you do, what will happen? What it presupposes, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. The things that we need to be effective to God. That's what we need. Those things. So we can surrender control of our lives and say, God, I would normally say this to that person. But I'm not going to say that because that's not what the Spirit would lead me to say. It's wrong. My flesh would have me do that, but I'm not doing that. I'm going to honor you, God, today. And as an act of worship, I'm going to do what is right, not my feelings. I'm going to do what is right. I'm surrendering control of my life 
I don't want to be under the control of something else. I want to be under your control. You'll never change your life until you change something that you do every single day. You have to die to the law every day. Identify with the cross every day. Surrender control of your life every day. And fourthly, you have to allow grace to set you free. See, most people don't get it. They think, oh, if you give people, if they're just saved, I love, I love the question. You mean if you're saved, you're, you're always saved and you can just go on in life and la-da-da. If you are truly saved, you see, they're taking hypothetical situations. Listen carefully. If you are truly saved, and who knows if you're truly saved? What's his name? Thank you. Someone said Bubba. No, it's not Bubba. It's God. It's God. If you're truly saved, God knows it. See, he will know that, and you will know it, because the Spirit will confirm that in you. And you begin to learn how to live under grace. I love grace. Galatians 2.21. I do do not set aside the grace of God. What is grace biblically? It's a word that simply means undeserved mercy. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Right? If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Didn't that make sense? Why did he come then? Oh, just he, he always wanted to be crucified. No. He came because that's the only way we could have a righteousness given to us. That's why he came. And you'll always do way more for grace than you ever would for the law. I know. I was raised in religion. And in religion, there's a bar. And if you got that done, you made it to a confessional, and you got this other thing done, and went to church during that time and served, you can get some extra points. But you live right up to that, and that's about it, unless you wanted some of the extra extra credit points to do some of the other religious things. Feel good about yourself. Listen, I've said many times to people, I said, well, you know, what about you? You're going to heaven because you're, you're a pastor, aren't you? I said, no. Probably there's going to be a lot of pastors in, in the other place called hell. Why? It's not, it's not your title that gives you salvation. It's Christ and what he has done. When I stand before Jesus, I'm not going to plead and say, God, you know, as a pastor, I spent a lot of years studying the word, reading the word. That didn't save me. Christ saved me. Christ alone saved me. And his grace set me free. You see, you always will do more for grace than you would for the law. For the law, I would live up to this much. But you know what I've watched you over these months? Many of you that are watching, or maybe you're aware, maybe not be aware, that like many other places, we didn't meet for a whole lot of months and there's lockdown stuff. But I call people up and say, oh, my family just, uh, my church family, my life journey group just brought over some food for us. I've gotten some nice cards from people. I've gotten the support for people. You have done what the church needs to do because of grace. We don't send you out a check. Our deacons aren't on the payroll to do that. You have modeled what is right. You have done what God has asked you to do. You've been the church. You've modeled what the church is all about because of grace. Because say, God, what would you do? And grace sets you free to do way, way, way more, doesn't it? It sets the bar in an unlimited manner, because that's what the grace of God did for us. It was unlimited. He died for how many of our sins? Say it out loud. All of our sins. It set the bar in a way different manner. You always do more for grace. You always do more when something's unlimited. So what's too much to do for Christ? You see, now we're no longer under the law. We're free to truly love Christ.
Because you're not doing it to get. You're doing it to give. You're doing it because of loyalty to Christ. You're doing it because of how much Christ has blessed your life and saved you. We don't even know how good that is, do we? There's not a person in this room or listening out there that knows how good it is that Jesus Christ saved us. Not in the fullest extent. That's what I mean. In the fullest extent, we won't know. But when we see him, we should be like him, for we shall see as it is. I've read descriptions of heaven. I've read different books about that. I've looked in the Word of God. We don't get it. We just can't. Because we can't. We've never been there. But think about this. You ever try and tell an ant about your vacation to the beach or to the mountains? No, Pastor, that'd be dumb. Of course it would. They wouldn't understand. Ant, you never believe. I had the great barbecue, whatever that is. I'm not going to get it. Do you realize we don't understand all that heaven is? We anthropomorphize it in some ways, and we th- will I see my loved one? Will I eat? We put so many things of that, but really? You know who's in heaven? Jesus is there. What else do you need? And if God made a perfect place, which it is, it's going to be great, whatever it is. I don't profess to know. I know some things about it. Like I said before, when people ask for their pets there, I said the Bible doesn't teach that. There may be a few in the other place, but I don't know about your pet being in heaven. Who knows? God created animals anyway. Let's look at this passage of Scripture. It says in Romans 10, 3 and 4, Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. A lot of the world does say they don't submit to his righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who what? Say it out loud. Believes. Do you want your life to change in some ways or to keep on going on the right course? Your life. Think about it. What is your life? It's spent a second, a minute, an hour, a week, a year at a time, isn't it? It's what is the culmination of who you are. It's the culmination of how you live out the days in those ways we've talked about. It's the culmination of how you die to the law every day. It's the culmination of how you identify with the cross every day. It's the culmination of surrender control of your life every day. And it's the culmination of allowing grace to set you free. And I thank you that I've seen you set free, even during these very, probably some of the most difficult times in ministry. We haven't been handcuffed to not be a blessing to other people in so many different ways. I'm so proud of you. I can't stand it. Rightly proud of you in the name of Christ because of how you serve. Would you bow for a time of prayer right now? Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to first of all thank you that you help us to come to the end of ourselves. And there we are. You cut us free from religion. And God, everything we had attached to us, all those tentacles and that mess of stuff begins to die, begins to loosen up and begins to fall off because of grace. It's dead. And God, thank you we can count ourselves as dead. Thank you for the fact that we can do things that make a difference in our world. Thank you we can die to the law and simply serve you, not to get but to give. Thank you, God, we can identify with your cross in a world that says that there's many, many ways to heaven and to God. We thank you that even if we were to suffer for it, that we can suffer for the sake of the cross, an instrument of love and blessing. Thank you, God, we can surrender our lives every day. 
not to our passions, not to whimsy types of things, not to our feelings, but to you. And when we do that, we can put our heads down at night and know that it's for you we have lived for. We surrendered and let ourselves die. That vine was cut. We live for you. And we thank you, God, for grace. It sets us free. It's unlimited. And thank you, God, just in some of the basics you've given us, these four things are life-changing. And God, our lives will never change until we do something every day. And I pray, God, every single day that we can live in this way. In Christ's name, amen. There's a few things I need to say to you this morning. If you'll hear me through all of it, it's important. And that is this. God has had me here for a very long time. I, can't, I said Many times people say, how long have you been at Longdale? I say, two millenniums. I came in 1999. But at the end of this year, four months from now, I will be retiring. And at that, I just want to give you some words, because many of you say, what's happened? Why would it? Well, several different things. There's no one thing. First of all, this place is in great shape. As I've alluded to and specifically mentioned this message, after a while, if your DNA isn't running through part of your church, then you probably didn't need to be there anyway. And I'm talking about the DNA of Christ, because out of all the things I have messed up in life, one of the things God taught me to do was listen to him. And so I seek to do that, and I pray as I've watched you, you, you give and you give and you give. So the church, as I've seen over these months, you're being the church. Secondly, we, we just refinanced at a great new rate some of the debt we have. It just came about because of some of the errant things in some of the building. We've got that. That's a blessing. Seven years for that. Isn't that good? The giving has been great this year. It's unbelievable. Thank you for supporting that without even being here. It's humbling to watch some people I know don't have the resources pull up and bring their offering because they want to be a church at our church building and drop it in that receptacle for that. Thank you for that. So many different things. We have a great pastoral staff. We have great administrative staff. So many things have just converged and lined up in that way. Another one that's very significant, and I'll just share, it's very personal. I have talk, I've spoken with many, many senior adults over these months just calling to see how they're doing. And I've watched the decline in, in their lives. I've watched some of that decline. And my own mother, I talk with my mother every single day, period. But I've seen over these last five, six months, just her memory is her short-term and long-term. Uh, it's just, it's not there. I shared last hour, many times I just say, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Mom, what'd you have for lunch? Did you have a good lunch today? What'd you eat? And, and she doesn't remember. Hard. Really hard. She's still lovely. She still laughs. We can, and we can, she can be right here. We can have a conversation right now. But she would say, my, my memory's not what it used to be. I'm getting old. She's 92, <laughs> you know, she's 92. But someone of you in this room, right here, right now, some of our pastoral staff and some of you out there, watching over a mother or a father. I've watched you model it over the years. We've had some people 
Some of the men in this church, and I've seen it several different times, have invited their mother-in-law to live with them. One mother-in-law was there 13 years. He invited, took care of everything. What a blessing that is. I do have a sister in Florida that lives pretty close. She gets in to see mom, tries to take care of a lot of things. I've got a brother there that's undergoing some different things for some cancer things that he has. And it's, kind of, it's tough down there because things have changed with kind of a rapidity in that. And when I speak with her, I can tell. But she loves to be around family and loves to be around people. And I would tell you that one of the memories my mother has, and I just shared some of the things she doesn't remember, months and months and months ago when we were visiting down there, when we were there, my wife just made sure that she was cooking and making special things for my mother because we're, we're, from, the old, we're from Italy, right? The love language is food. It's very simple, right? PJ would make all these special things and set the table so nicely and have a special thing out there. My mother recently, we're speaking, here I am, I didn't know what she has for lunch, was remembering that. Remarking on that. I thought everyone should have a daughter-in-law like that that wants to take care of your mom. She's not her mom. She's my mom. But she's my wife's mom by marriage, and she's like her mom. She's been a blessing in her life and in my life and our family's life. The bottom line is we need to take care of her. We need to be just to be in that house, not just a day or two, but weeks, maybe a month at a time. need to spell my sister some. She needs a break. It's, it's stressful. It's a lot. You know that. There's some things that you would want a woman to help a woman with. Can I say that without ex- going far? And my wife does that for her. My sister does that for her. My brute brother and I, probably not the best people to do that just for everybody's, particularly my mom, just for her comfort zone and everything. And so there's a passage in Scripture, and what do you expect your pastor? Do you expect your pastor to uphold Scripture? It says, honor your mother and your father. And as I've talked I, with her, I've spoken with her, and I've seen this and watched it, and I thought, this is really hard to see. But I know how much joy it brings her when we're able to be down there and actually live in the house with her. And we want to bless her, the both of us do. And we do when we're there, and she loves it. And I want to do that for her. We never thought as far as siblings and those that married into the family, not that you hoping someone would die, but we didn't expect her to be 92. Right? Some of you know what I'm talking about because she's far outlived my grandparents. Far. Not like a year. She's just decades. She's far outlived them. So, but there she is. And she's still the lovely person, the happy person, the person that loves Jesus. And we're blessed for that. So many people don't have that. But we do have that. And I'm blessed to have a wife that cares about that and wants to help with that and to be part of that. And... You know, when people say, what's your pastor doing in my retirement? He's going to Florida. No, I'm not. I'm going to South Georgia. It's Tallahassee where they live. And 
So, and it's not about the location. I don't care where it was. It's, it's about her. It's about doing the right thing. It's about doing what the Word of God said. And I've had to question myself with that and say, what is the thing that would do that? What is honoring? And that is it. It's to be there and really honor that in that sense. When my dad was dying in the mid-90s, I couldn't be there, but he did have my mom, and I talked to my dad every single day. We knew he was dying, but at least my mom was there. My mom didn't have somebody living in the house. So we're going to do something about that and seek to help her through those times. I've assured her. I said, Mom, we know who you are. If you're never able to remember even anything, we know who you are. And we're going to take care of you. And you know what? That's what the Word of God says to do. And we're going to do that. So I thank you for understanding. I thank you for hearing my heart. It's just the right thing to do. You, can't, you never go wrong listening to God's Word, do you? You never go wrong doing that. So there's around four months. There's time to get together with committees. I've let personnel know. I've let, of course, pastoral staff and some other folks around here be aware of that, administrative staff. I'll be getting word about that as they ask Steve to contact them. So it's a process, and it's been a long time. I mean, this is my family. I've spent more waking hours in this place than all the rest of my life in other places, all combined. Think about it, waking hours, right? And I've loved it, and I love you, and a piece of my heart always remains here, always. I love this place. This is my family. This is my family. The family's watching. Some of these people treat me better than some of you all bums out there. You better listen to me. They treat me great, wonderful. They're blessed. And my mom always says, you have such a lovely church. Thank your people. Thank you. God bless you. And so we're on that journey. And like I said, we have some months to process things, look at things. Didn't want to give you a two-week notice and say, this is what's going on. But we'll talk to staff and get things in motion. Let me just say this to you. The best days of Lawndale Baptist Church are in front of it. Hear me saying. It's never been about me from the moment I sat in my chair in my office. It's not about me. This belongs to Jesus Christ. And the beauty I've seen in this church has been because you've allowed Christ to work in your life, just like I'm saying today. But you can't have a pastor that says, you'll never change your life until you change something that you do every day. There's something I have to do every day. I need to model that and take care of that and make sure I'm part of that equation. My other siblings are not at stages of life to do what I can do at this point. So we're stepping to the plate. Can't point the finger at someone else. Going to honor God and his word. Amen? So thank you. You're lovely folks, and I'm glad we have time to process this whole thing. And I'm blessed. I can be called your pastor. And by the way, I'm just, I'm, people say, are you moving to Florida? No. We'll still be in the state except on the coast. And only one road separates Greensboro and Wilmington is I-40. And so I want to get back here, be a part of a service now and then, jump in for a staff lunch, Barry treat me to a biscuit or something, and uh, just be able to stay connected because this is, this is home. This is, this is our hearts, and we love you. We truly, truly love you. We've been through the battles and the victories and the hard times of life together. And so it's not a decision that you want to get there and say, here's how I'm going to, here, control freak, here's how my retirement's going to go. I always thought about I want to go to Tallahassee. Listen, I want to do what God's will says. Amen.
just like you. And that's his will. That's what we're doing. So thank you for hearing it. God bless you for all your prayers for the future, for so many different things. God's got it. Do you believe that? We sang this morning, great is thy faithfulness. I know you picked some of those on purpose. Great is thy faithfulness. That's right. You only have one mom. Anyway, I do need to dismiss you from the back forward, whether it's the balcony.